great to see you. Absolutely wonderful to have you in uh, the church building today. And a very warm welcome to all those who are joining us as well um, online this morning with our live stream. Most of the letters from the Apostle Paul were written by, for a reason. Either to thank churches for a gift, to correct some heresy, to answer some of their questions, or maybe to challenge their ways of living. And Ephesians is different um, in that Paul is not writing this letter to Ephesians, this letter that we are studying presently, to counteract any heresy. He was not writing to confront any specific problem. Paul's letter to Ephesians is all about what it means to be a Christian. Although Paul doesn't use the term Christian in his writing, he calls Christians those who are in Christ or those who are in him. And that's a phrase or phrases that he uses all the way through the letter to Ephesians. So in Ephesians, Paul writes about the new life which God has given us all through Christ, writes of the new society which God has created and to which we belong. He speaks of the new standards which God expects of his new society and also the new relationships into which he has brought us. And in our first study a couple of weeks ago, Paul introduces this letter to Ephesians with some wonderful words in chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Paul proceeds to tell us about all those blessings that God has blessed us with. And as Dan told us uh, a couple of weeks ago, that he doesn't seem to come up for air at all. That there's uh, 12 verses in our Bibles, which they just uh, are just one very long, complicated sentence in the Greek language. But Paul, he doesn't come up for air. Paul refers to the blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing of the new life in Christ. And they just seem to tumble from Paul's lips. That we are chosen, that we are adopted, redeemed, forgiven, that we um, are recipients of God's lavish grace. And that we have been marked in Christ by a seal and that is the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul starts this uh, wonderful letter um, with praise and then he moves from praise into prayer. And Paul tells the uh, believers there in Ephesus and surrounding cities that all of these wonderful things that they have in Christ. But then he prays for them. He prays that they might actually have eyes opened to experience and know the treasure that they have in Christ. And he comes out with that wonderful phrase. We saw it last week when in our reading. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a great prayer that is, isn't it? A great prayer for us to pray for one another. Pray for the others around us. That the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. Enlightened to the hope that they have in Christ. Enlightened to the riches that they have in Christ and in one another. Enlightened to know God's great power to them in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who is God's empowering presence in our lives. So we concluded chapter one in two weeks, but believe you me, we could have taken two months over it. There was so much in that chapter. 
And today, in our third study, we have come to Paul's second chapter, and the subject hasn't changed. Paul is still telling us how wonderful this life is for the Christian, the, the life that we have in Christ. And we're going to um, look at the first 10 verses this morning of Ephesians chapter 2. And what Paul is telling us about here is the amazing grace of God. And he does this by contrasting the old us, the old dead us, with what we are now. We are so alive in Christ. So if you have your Bibles there, please uh, join us. The words will also come on screen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the, this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul describes what we were by nature, and he does it in three ways, and he uses pretty colourful language there, doesn't he? In verse 1, he says that we are dead. In verse 2, he says we are disobedient. And in verse 3, he says that we are doomed, that we were by nature deserving of wrath. And Paul wasn't speaking there of the uh, corrupt paganism of his day. But in fact, he was actually speaking of the spiritual condition of people everywhere. People who were and are without God in their lives. Now, I know that a lot of people struggle over this uh, description because they, and, and perhaps we here, here this morning, know people who are not Christians. We know people who have perhaps no time for God in their lives. And they appear to be dead in that respect, but in every other aspect, they appear to be alive, very much alive intellectually, in kindness, in compassion, in mercy, in activity. They're good people, and yet Paul writes, in the area that matters most, they're dead. They're unresponsive to God. They are blind to the transforming power of Jesus. They're deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no place in their lives for God. They have no desire for fellowship with other Christians. They might be great people in every other respect, but in respect to God, they are unresponsive. And I know that full well, because I was one of them, and so were you too. I found the message uh, translation quite wonderful, actually, very helpful, to try to get my head inside of these three verses. And sometimes that's good to do when we are reading Paul, because Paul can be very complicated, can't he? Nod. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's very difficult, and sometimes I use other translations, and one of the translations I use is the message. And this is what it says. And I like it very much. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. 
Isn't it just? Don't you think that on times? You just wonder why God didn't do away with the whole lot of us. Like the rest, he, uh, Paul writes, we were objects of wrath. And then it comes to uh, verse 4, which is, is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. But because of God's great love for us, well, my word, you can just stop there for a moment, can't you? But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What a great verse that is. So up to now, what Paul is telling us in the first three verses is telling us that what we were by nature, we were dead, we were disobedient, and we were doomed. But then there's this wonderful change that he speaks about. And the change is now what we are by God's grace. We were dead, but now we've been made alive in Christ. I suppose God could have left us, couldn't he, in our rebellion and in our captivity. But God didn't. And it wasn't because of anything that he saw in us. It had nothing, in fact, to do with us, but it had everything to do with him. And Paul tells us what that was in the next few verses. Paul tells us of God's great love for us, the richness of his mercy towards us, the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but we've been made alive in Christ. And then Paul really comes in this to the heart of the matter of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian isn't someone who merely decides to turn over a new leaf or to tidy up their lives somehow, or start praying, or start reading the Bible, or start coming to church. And I know that most Christians do those things, and they're good things to do, don't get me wrong in that. But that isn't the heart of what it means to be a true Christian. Being a true Christian is being, about being made spiritually alive. It's a new start, it's a new power. The New Testament often speaks in terms of a rebirth, or being born again, or being born from above. And just as God breathed new life into Lazarus, Lazarus who had been dead for four days, he came back to life, God also, by his spirit, breathes new life into our spirits. It's God at work, it's a demonstration of that. And what's this new life look like? Well, for a start, I think the whole world looks different. The whole world looks different. A Christian is one who has been awakened to the beauty of God. A Christian is one who is um, overwhelmed in wonder at the mercy of God. A Christian is one with new desires and new ambitions. One who was spiritually blind, but now they can see. You've probably heard me on other occasions. I've, I've spoken in the past about the difference that I experienced. It's a little bit like watching a football match on a 14-inch black and white um, portable set, which is what Julie and I had for many years after we were first married. Compare that to watching a football match on a 70-inch ultra-high definition surround sound smart TV of today which, by the way, we don't have. <laughs> the difference would be out of this world. Actually, Julie and I were quite content with 
what we had at the start, the 14-inch portable, you know, with the, the, the coat hanger aerials. Do you remember them? Some of you are nodding. But you see, after we tasted of our first color TV set, we bought it secondhand for 55 pounds. But after we tasted of that, there was no going back. And that perhaps explains a little bit of coming alive to Jesus and what it's like. It's great seeing Jane. I saw Jane coming in this morning. I'm just thinking of you. She's looking very worried now. <laughs> Jane, in your baptism service in this church some years back, I remember you telling a story. And it was a story of shortly after you came to faith in Jesus and you were in Kingsbury Water Park and you fell out of your wheelchair and you fell into a puddle and rather than complaining and having a real old moan about the puddle that she was in, the new alive Jane saw the little creepy crawlies and was fascinated by them and started thanking God for the wonder of his creation. <laughs> and she hasn't stopped, she says. You know, that again is just a, an illustration of coming alive in Christ that we have new eyes to see. And I suppose I could go on, and if I give opportunity this morning for all of you to come up here, I'm sure you all have your own stories of what you once were and what you have become in Christ. Paul goes on to tell us that we were made alive in Christ, but more than that, in verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and created us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because we are in Christ, everything that happened to Christ also happens to us. Now, many churches up and down our land today will be reciting the creed in their morning service. And it's, it's, a, great, it, it's a great thing to do. It's not a part of our particular tradition. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. And in the creed it says that on the third day he rose, Jesus rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And that is so much of what Paul writes here about the Christian. That's exactly what happens to the Christian. That we're made alive, we are raised, and we are seated in the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on to say that God has done this to demonstrate the riches of his grace. And he will continue to do this throughout all of eternity. There's so much more I could say on that if we had time this morning. In verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What Paul is telling us here is that salvation is not some human achievement. It's not something that we get and gain from living a good life or a holy life or being religious. But salvation is God's gift to us. And God's gift to us, it is totally by grace. And if you are joining this service this morning and you're unfamiliar with that word grace, it means that even though we are undeserving, God has still chosen to love us and reach down to us. How wonderful is that? That God's grace means his unmerited, his undeserved, his unearned, unwarranted, unconditional love to each of us. 
This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the enormity and the magnitude of God's love for us. Isn't that astonishing? But there's such a big difference between religion and the gospel of grace. You see, religion says, I obey, and therefore, hopefully, I will be accepted by God. In other words, it's about what I do. As long as I can do enough of the right things and not so many of the wrong things, then hopefully God will look kindly upon me. That's what religion says. I obey and hopefully I'll be accepted by God. The gospel of grace says I'm accepted by God through Christ and therefore I obey. And it's the other way around. You see, religion can tell you to love God with all your heart, your mind and your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself, but it's only the gospel can give you the power to do that. Religion is man's pursuit of God, but is impotent and ineffective in helping you to change. But on the other hand, you've got the gospel which is vested with God's power. I met up with an old friend of mine and an old friend of yours uh, this week, uh, Graham. And uh, in chatting to him, I was reminded of Graham's story. And Graham and Sadie, they join us faithfully online every week and are joining us uh, this morning as well, I know that. Graham was, or is, an alcoholic. And Graham tried everything that he could do in order to break the power of alcohol. Everything. And nothing worked. Nearly had his life destroyed. He was very close to, to death uh, some years back. The power of drink was much stronger than his human resolve. And then one day, in his utter desperation, Graham bowed his knee to Christ. And that which he was powerless to do previously became possible because he had a new power working within him. And when I met Graham this week, he said, do you know what, that's 25 years ago now. Paul wrote in the New Testament that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. The word that he uses, the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite, or even dynamic. The gospel is God's dynamite to change a person's life. Religion doesn't have that ability. Religion is man searching for God. The gospel is God searching for man. Religion is all about cosmetic changes, changes on the outside, changing, keeping the rules. Uh, the gospel of grace changes a person on the inside. Religion is all about willpower. The gospel of grace is all about God's power working in us. And as we sing that great song, don't we, in this church, and we sang it last week, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. God made it possible. God thought up the plan, actioned it through Jesus and reached out to us by the Holy Spirit, his empowering spirit. And Paul continues by telling us that even though we are not saved by our good works, we are saved for good works. And we've heard that this morning from that great uh, testimony that we heard earlier. Good works which were planned in advance for us to do by God himself. And I find that absolutely astonishing. Look at verse 10 together. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. God's handiwork. In some versions of the Bible, it speaks of God's workmanship. In one of the versions, it's God's masterpiece, that we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word that Paul uses is the word poiema, which we get our English word poem from. In other words, Paul is saying that we are his poetry, crafted with precision and loving care, that we are God's masterpiece, we are God's work of, heart, work of art, we are the pinnacle of all that God has accomplished in his world. Wow. And I think that God wants you to know today, all of you who are here and those who are joining us online, that you are precious in his sight, that you have been created by God and you have been created for God and that you are loved eternally by him. You see, our creation was a miracle, but our becoming a new creation is, is an even greater miracle. That sinful, selfish people like me and like you could be acceptable to Almighty God. One last thought. Band, if you'd like to come and join me as well, please, thank you. And this last thought is this. That not only has God prepared us for good works, but God has prepared good works for us. Well, think about that. God has not only prepared us for good works, but he has prepared good works for us. And I find this quite amazing, that God is the perfect matchmaker, that he has matched our transformed hearts and transformed lives with opportunities that he provides for us on a day-to-day -day basis. And what have I got to say to that? Well, simply, wow. Sorry, I can't be any more theological than that, but simply, wow. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we pray that this week you might open our eyes, firstly, so that we should see all that you have done in us and all that you have done for us. And let the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we can see the beauty of creation, but also the wonder of your mercy. We pray, Lord, that you might also give us sensitive hearts, that we are attuned to divine opportunities and God incidences as we go about your purposes in your world this week. 